0: All of this is wasted if we can't show impact or have an impact on others. All of us have a story to tell. It's about impact. it's about me. Visit our website for more on
1: www.massstartup.io.
0: It's about entrepreneurs coming together to say I have a journey of my own. That journey is not perfect, but I want to see if there's things that I've learned that I can impart on others. From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. This podcast is sponsored by Sage Accounting. Sage gives entrepreneurs and small businesses the information, insights, and tools they need to succeed. Sign up for a 30-day trial to start using Sage Accounting in your business using the offer code SAGEMASH. Watch the full, r- listen to the
1: full episode on distinct. Um, <laughs> yeah, true, 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 true. That's a good one. Oh, Sam was playing Dragon Ball Z. Dang. Okay. Hey. Okay, Mash, are we just like raw dogging this or?
0: I'm gonna try and do a podcast for the first time in four months. Not four months. When's February? April. What's after February? March? (laughs) March? March, April? (laughs) May? June, July, August, six months. Yo. It's crazy.
1: And I love it's me that I brought 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 the content back, guys. Send me my flowers. Hey.
0: So just to start off with, I think um, it will be great just to have context of this way. Don't you have an intro? Um, I do, but it plays, like, on the podcast itself.
1: Oh, that's boring. So we just get into it. Yeah, that's not there's boring. No, there's no foreplay. You just get into it jeez yeah at least like you <laughs> no. know welcome back
0: no do you know what i usually do i just start recording i think like what happens is like people start to um start to curate how they speak and okay. they start worrying about what they look like and no. how it feels
1: not yeah not with me hmm. so oh, you're not even gonna tell your listeners like hey, yo, guys it's been Six months. And no, I don't I'm think of now.
0: I don't think of podcasts the way YouTube works. Okay, so I think podcasts first, but you not YouTube first. Same, um same. And maybe we can kick off on that. Like, yeah, this is so crazy. Mm. This is such a wild experience
1: because I feel like there's no, there's no manuscript to follow with in the world of podcasts. because there is. really. Who, yep. who who's setting that tone? And and if you say media, Joe Rogan I'm NPR
0: media. okay um there are companies that have been at this for years and years you know 20 years 10 years and Fair. I think um
1: but I'm I'm contextualizing it in the South African format okay right because i mean we love this whole thing of like yeah we should follow st- examples and stuff but like we also love doing it our own way right so
0: Yeah my own is just to have really meaningful conversations with people that yeah. I think like are super interesting I think like I realized how much of a niche entrepreneurship startups and small business mm-hmm. actually is in terms of content consumption mm-hmm. and I realized that I could have a conversation with anyone about anything for a very mm. long time mm. um, So I think what I'm trying to do now is run an experiment Mm -hmm. where I'm going to just have interviews with a bunch of people and just Mm -hmm. like have really interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. I tested this out before. Yeah. And I called it like room to fail.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Because I just wanted to speak to people that I just wanted to speak to. It wasn't necessarily about entrepreneurship or anything Mm. like
1: that. You're just trying to diversify.
0: But also it's about creators, right? Like I think of you as a creator. Do you think of yourself as a creator?
1: I think of myself as an exhausted black woman in a, a world where oh, we're not being given our flowers. But yeah, I do think of myself as a creative. I think of myself as a social entrepreneur.
0: Um, what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I mean, if we want to go textbook with it, I just think generally, um, when you think of like our standard entrepreneurs, I wouldn't say they're not driven by people. They're just driven by profit whereas for me my my main um my main my main thing is I'm always driven by people no matter if I see myself in a workshop no matter if I see myself you know engaging with people on stages on talking I'm driven by people because I'm I'm a sponge I absorb energies and I give back what I receive so obviously if I'm in a space where it's very toxic and very standoffish um I'll still do the job the requirements of the day but I'm not going to give my all because I don't know, I'm just I'm just like that. But as a social entrepreneur I'm all about people first, profit later.
0: Yeah, and I think like that is like a part of entrepreneurship that actually thrives in Africa mm-hmm. versus anywhere else in the world where like the impact comes first and sometimes not even as um as deliberate. Mm. I think it just happens that the entrepreneurs here deeply care about solving problems that like yeah. ...can actually affect people.
1: Shout out to Nelson Mandela for that, you know, real one.
0: That's interesting. Hmm. Like, do you chart back, like, that as being something of an inspiration for you?
1: The principle of Ubuntu is really there, right? I mean, I don't want to be like, oh, rainbow and sunshine and everything. But there's that that element of walking into a space and recognizing that there are people here. And... You recognize who they are, and if there's a need for something that they require, if they need help, then help them. And I think I am driven by that energy, but my motto is also to be first so that I may be of service. Mm. Um, And I guess that's why I've always aligned myself to community service. I've always aligned aligned myself with unlocking people's potential, in particular the young girl child's potential, because, yeah, you know, we're... Particular black girls are at the bottom of the tier when it comes to just where we're placed in society and recognized in society. So, yeah. i i i always I always base that spirit of ubuntu in my work, but I also recognize that there's challenges. Right, there's an element of discrimination that exists. I mean, I can walk into a boardroom as a young black woman and I have to work ten times harder than my white male counterparts or male counterparts. Mm. And it's unfortunate, right? But I'm I think for me I'm always just led by it. this is what I'm here to do. And no matter the response, I'm here to do what I need to do. Either way.
0: What would you say was like one of the first experiences where that became like very you know, that like visceral experience mm. that showed you that?
1: Um so when curate um was kicking off where we were getting um an opportunity to do workshops around South Africa and I remember having, at the time, it was like an in-person meeting and one of the founders of this organization, which happened to be a period organization, was was in the space constantly like invalidating the work that we do, but in the tiniest of ways. Like I think there's usually like a micro... Aggression. Microaggression that exists, you know, where to say like, okay, so what about this? Or have you considered that? And not in a way of like, I'm trying to be helpful, but in a way to like, not have you do the work at all, right? So it was very mm. counterproductive. Thankfully, him being the only man in the room, I think a lot of the women there were saying, you know, we've experienced these things. We've actually seen the impact. We've actually... Um, we actually recognize that this is a real thing. We can't continue to do this normal thing of just donating period products and then walking away. Mm. And an eight year old doesn't even know how it works. We need to have that immersion of it. So he kept quiet at some point because I think they had to step in and say, you know what, this is not, this is not helpful at all. Even though I had the presentation ready, showed the scale of impact, you know, provided a business model, did all that thing. There was still some element of, I'm trying to one up you to make you feel less than. Mm. And, it sucks right because i think even even just being a social entrepreneur a female social entrepreneur and then mixing it with the work that i do which is sort of like menstrual health whew, the the stigma is it's a double it's a double edged sword but I guess for me, like I say, I'm always led by the people. I always walk into spaces and, I'm like, I know that the impact for me is not about my wallet. It's about ensuring that the next set of schools we go to or the youth organizations we have, we have the capabilities to be in those spaces. Mm. So, yeah, I'm driven by that. And, you know, strange enough, it's really weird. Um, I only discovered this recently, but um, where my family's from, from Malawi and... Um, my, my dad was telling me about a um, history lesson about Malawi and how, you know, there were activists trying to fight for justice and all that jazz. And one of the ministers of justice landed up in jail and actually happened to be Orton Chirwa. And I was like, oh, that's our homie. Um, and so I come from a space of activism. I come from a space of leading um, communities and serving communities. And I think that's just something that I cannot remove because I, I come from a generation of that. So I also need to mention that it's in me. You know?
0: Yeah. How much of an influence does that, like, place on the work that you're doing now, right? Like,
1: Mm. and
0: how does it inform how you actually do that work?
1: The influence being where I I come from.
0: Where you come from, but also just, like, the people around you who also think in this way, where it's, Mm. like, people first, before profit.
1: Yo, um, I think at some point I got a lot of, like, I don't think you should be doing what you're doing. It doesn't seem to be making enough money for... For it to be a viable, you know, viable income, viable lifestyle. Um, You know, just from my parents' perspective, I think there's always a level of concern to say, like, is what you're doing making sense? And I don't think they understand that there's an element of passion and purpose there. I think they always just think in a traditional sense to say, is it making bank? Um, and I'm not driven by that In as much as yes, I need to cover my own overhead costs I think if I was driven by Is it making bank? My genuine um, self as the minister of menstruation My journey wouldn't then be depicted to The rest of the country as, a way, as the way it is now You know, I think if I was driven by bank People would be like, ah, oh, this is just some other random person Who, you know, wanted to live a luxurious lifestyle Um So it's difficult sometimes Because I've had moments of being in the car Crying, breaking down Um, You know, I've been on moments Where I'd be on LinkedIn looking for jobs Um, And I've been in moments where I'm like You know what, I'm ready to just change my handle And give it up But I think what I always do in those moments Is I always go back to The history of, you know, Curate I go on the Curate Instagram pages of the blog And I look at the images of the girls That we've impacted I look at the workshops we've done and I just, I just do the work for myself. I do the work for my ten-year-old self who needed the minister of menstruation at that time, mm. um, because it's also sort of like a healing journey. I carried eleven years of guilt and shame towards my body over a natural function, and so for me, it's sort of like a redemption to say, I'm sorry for carrying that guilt and shame, and I'm gonna do, I'm gonna give it back to ensuring that other ten-year-olds won't go through what I went through.
0: Yeah, when you you know, what does the process look like to find the mission mm. and then maybe go into just like what curate is and what you um, have achieved so far as well.
1: Mm. I love, I love, I love, by the way, I love being in the space talking about this because it's like, you can reflect on it, but you can also look at the people. I love this by the way, in, for the listeners. Wait, um, you're
0: talking about the studio. I'm
1: talking about the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, we've got a candle out, you know, 11, 11 manifesting. It's a white candle. It's very sentimental. Um, What does the mission look like?
0: Like, what does it look like to form the
1: mission? From a company perspective or from an individual perspective? I think social social
0: entrepreneurs don't... Typically, Mm. there's uh, overlap between the two. Mm. You know, you spoke about, like, going through 11 years where you felt Mm -hmm. like, you know... Insecurity towards this thing that was just like a a normal bodily function. Right. Um, You know, how do you form the mission to say, you know what? I've seen this thing. I've been affected by it. Mm. I can't imagine how many more people are actually affected by this. Mm. Um, I want to build an organization and run initiatives Mm. that can actually solve this problem.
1: (sighs) This is why... (sighs) You know, that's what what is very weird is that in the moment that I just started my first period, I don't think I'd ever say I'd see myself in that bathroom being the minister of menstruation. Right. Because it's a scary moment. It's a but it was a character defining moment. Isolating myself from that trauma and then coming across research around period poverty then made me recognize that like okay this is something that i've been through something that i've had to isolate myself from and this is something that needs to be addressed so the, there's a process that happens right because it doesn't just come overnight mm. and i think often people just see it as like that light bulb moment you see in cartoons where everything's solved but it's a process so you write the thing and be like okay i've known about period poverty let me read up about it and then you pause for a bit you do your normal life things you come back you come so, back for someone
0: that doesn't know what this is mm-hmm. what is period poverty
1: oh wow um what is the demographic of your listenership
0: <laughs> <laughs> well look i haven't done a podcast for six months
1: right let's
0: assume there is no, <laughs> the, no demographic the
1: last time you checked your insights when you were you know looking to see who's listening you know I honestly, do you remember?
0: Um, I don't make an effort to try and do that. Okay. I think um,
1: I respect you for that. Some of us are driven by analytics. It's just sad. <laughs> driven by <laughs> analytics is an
0: amazing line. I don't know. That's such a great line. Just, like, driven, driven by, by analytics. Me. No, I yeah. just think um, very similarly. Impact has always been the focus for me, and like mm. I've always tried to find ways to do that first. Mm. Um, and for me, podcasts have never been about. Let me see how many more people can listen. Right. It's always been like how much more impact can I drive in one episode? Mm. Like in, in the five minutes someone gives themselves to actually listen. Fair. So there's never been a thing that was driven by, oh, no, you know, ugh, men are only listening. So right. I need to make sure be I more. am. No.
1: Yeah. Okay. I like that approach. I think I'm going to start taking that approach as No, look, well.
0: analytics still matter. Oh, yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we are actually driven by analytics. No,
0: I'm not driven by analytics, but I might analytics be influenced by them. <laughs> Analytics <laughs> matter.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just assume that like majority of your listeners maybe have heard of it but don't really know about it in depth, right? Mm. So when we think of when we think of um when we think of like when we sneeze, right? And the first thing we need when we've sneezed is we need tissue. So you require an you require a product to manage, you know, your snot, for instance. And that's a natural biological function. When we look at periods, which is a natural biological function, um, there's an element of products that are required to manage the period blood. And period poverty is saying that outside of the period products that are needed and that one doesn't have access to those things, there's also the infrastructure that is needed to manage the period blood, washing your hands, throwing the period products away, uh, the the, the state of the toilets, then there's education, there's medicine, there's a whole range of things that you you need to manage your period Mm. in dignity and care. So period poverty looks at it and says, okay, a young girl doesn't have access to a a pad. What are the human implications that are impacted by that? The human right implications, she can't go to school. If she wants to go to school, she has to use unhygienic materials like cow dung, paper, uh, sand, not paper, like actual, you know, paper, like paper, uh, cloth, cow dung, leaves, a range of unhygienic materials that are not meant to absorb period blood. But there's also an element of stigma that's there, you know, and shame. So when I, yeah. There's there's an education piece. There's an education element there, but there's also an awareness element because part of the stigma is saying to young menstruators who start their period like me, don't talk about your period to anyone. Don't let anyone know that you're on your period because it, it will just be a shameful thing. So that also then transcends from a personal level to a policy level because, the decision makers who can end period poverty are not aware about the lived experiences of menstruators. So, for me, when I came across this information, and I was twenty one, right? I started my period at the age of ten. That was eleven years of just not knowing, being isolated, being ashamed, being terrified. The research then prompted me to say, "Let me think deeply about this, and let me think about how is that we can change this narrative?" Because it's not like we go to home affairs and we apply for our period and then we decide to menstruate or not. It's, 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 an, it's an inevitable thing. Mm. So the process of curate came about and I, and I want to say divine intervention happened because I remember in particular attending the Obama lecture, lecture when he came to South Africa. And there were key words that he kept saying in this conversation around young people and how in particular young people need uh, things to be unlocked and young people need to be believed in. But in particular, we need to curate the things that young people are um, you know, accessing in terms of information and opportunities. And he just kept saying the word curate, curating, 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 and that for me stuck. Do um, you want me to pause? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and for me, I was like, okay, and I, I remember whenever I attend, like, um, sort of, like, live engagements with with prominent speakers, I always just write, like, a summary of my initial feelings and thoughts, right? And every time he mentioned curate, I always just put an asterisk around the, the notepad to say, this man has said the word curate more than 10 times. This must be something that is speaking to me, and... Since then, I was like, this is what I'm calling my NGO. This is what I'm calling my nonprofit. And Curate is going to be about enhancing critical thinking skills for young people to enable them to feel empowered. But beyond empowerment, feel educated around social issues that um, impact them social issues that are inevitable. So, puberty is inevitable. Growing up is inevitable. Um, Sexual education is inevitable. Menstruation is inevitable. But how do we change that in a way that that is different from what we see on the ground? So, is it, you know, what we see on the ground at the moment is institutions coming in, doing slideshow presentations and not engaging with young people. And Curate comes in and says, we're gonna engage with young people in a fun dynamic way. We're gonna do really cool workshops. We're gonna have young people dance, but also have young people have uh, actually learn about social issues. Um, So yeah, elements of divine intervention, I think uh, applies to the mission, right? And it's not something that just comes overnight. I think you have to be kind to yourself during that process of, I've got this idea, how do I make it work? and allowing yourself to constantly think do the research look things up um speak to people about it listen to people who are pioneers in the field engage with their content see what they have to say and then curate your idea
0: so what does that like first initiative actually look like and the process to actually getting it you know executed right because I'm sure it takes a lot to make people buy into something that possibly they haven't interacted with. Mm. This is an organization that's focusing on an issue that they might not even like have context of or right. really have awareness around either. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that first first initiative look like?
1: Yo, the first workshop, the first workshop was a very interesting one because we're testing the idea. You know, we've got the curriculum, we've got the rubric, we've got the run of show, but we're testing the idea, and I think. It was very, I was very nervous. Cause I think for me, it was like, this is a make or break moment. This is a moment where this will either really work or we'll have to go back to the drawing board. And I, I, I won't lie. The first workshop, I know a lot of people were giving us really good feedback and saying that was amazing. I've never experienced that. But in my head, imposter syndrome was like, girl, I think you're going to have to hang up the coat. I think this is not going to work. Thankfully. You know, the organizers of the first workshop were like, we won a second workshop for the other group of girls. So I kind of was forced to be in that space to try it out. And being in the second workshop, I then recognized that there's so many things that can change based on the people that are there. You know, it's not ever going to be a static thing. But... Recognizing that menstruation is a social experience. People have varied experiences of this thing. So some people might respond very positively, whereas others might respond very negatively. But I have to, as a facilitator, always be the anchor to ensuring that period positivity is the agenda of the day. And... One thing that I must note is that the consistency of the content of saying we were in this space, now we're going to this space, we're in this space, now we're going to this space, and putting that out on all our social media networks meant that then people were seeing the value of what we were bringing, but they're also seeing it in a different light. They're seeing that. Okay, we're talking about menstruation where everyone is slowly having chat about period poverty, but these guys are doing it differently. They're not just doing a presentation. They're not just, you know, having some technical expert talk about periods in a statistical way. They're actually having the people in that space own the content and learn about periods in a positive light. And I think that's what caught on. That's what brought more people to say, we want to work with you. That's what brought, you know, Private companies like um we did a workshop recently for Levi's. That was cool. Um I like how you said that so nonchalant. Oh
0: yeah, Levi's so cool. we Levi's. worked with Levi's Jake's, global you brand. Know,
1: you know, we worked with I people. Mean. Check our website. <laughs> Check our website. Um, <laughs> but I think for me, it was like people are recognizing the value because we're putting the word out there and we're being very deliberate about saying, in this house, we are a period positive house. No matter what walks of life you're from, you could be a church, you could be, you could be, I don't know, an organization that doesn't really see the value about of of ending period poverty. We will still have that agenda of ending period, positive, uh, period poverty and bringing period positivity. And that's really important for me. Um, at some point, I think when I started Curate, it was very like, okay, we're going to do this and this and this and this. But I recognized that sexual health and, and in particular menstrual health is something that a lot of young people need empowerment and education and Because they just feel so awkward and terrified. And it's like, guys, come on. A period is a period. And, and period blood comes out of vagina. There I said it. A vagina. What does a vagina do? A vagina does this. You know, like just normal about it let's just embrace it for what it is and let's just bring it and make it normal so yeah i'm pretty sure your listeners are like this is not the trajectory of how this conversation started because we were talking about social entrepreneurship and but this is
0: this is how the mission is." and now we're talking about vaginas i I think that
1: (laughs) vaginas vaginas
0: i think think that um people come by mission very differently Mm -hmm. and the journey is never the same for two people right? right like One person could see a statistic around something and Mm -hmm. form, you know, their mission around that. Yeah. You, like, had a lived experience that led to that. Yeah. When you started Curate, did you think it was going to be an organization? Did you see the journey of you becoming a creator and, like, raising awareness around this very, very critical part of, like, a woman's life?
1: (sighs) You know, I I can't even say in that moment, if I fast forward, rewind, rather – to 21-year-old Candace, I don't think she would have been like, yeah, this is this is where we're going. Like, I think I was fine with being behind the scenes and doing the workshops as a facilitator. But I I think where I am right now is the Minister of Menstruation where I've been on platforms that I would never have conceived myself being on. Like, platforms where I used to watch my dad watch... Like, my dad used to watch BBC all the time. And I can say I've been on BBC, you know? Um, I, I never would have envisioned myself being like on TV as much as I am, radio stations as much as I am, on platforms that I often would read or look at. I never would have, would have perceived that. And I think maybe it's because I really believe in this. I really have a passion for it. And people want to know why. Why is it? And I think that's why. That, that whole conversation about your mission or your purpose, I always say that your purpose is your guiding star, right? So no matter where you are in life, it will always remain. And if your purpose is, like mine, to make people happy by enriching their lives in education, that will always remain. Even at some point, if I become a mother, right? I will then become the minister of motherhood and still educate people around the varied experiences of motherhood from a black, black woman's perspective. I hit menopause. I'll become the minister of menopause. It's fine. Education is, is is key for me, right? So I can't really say, I can't really say like, yeah, this is what I intended or this is what I wanted because for me it was like, I really just wanted to make sure that young people knew that periods are okay and periods are normal. Yeah. It just so happens that now people were picking up on it and here it is, you know?
0: What was the, you know, one moment where you realized that this was one super important for a very specific group of people. Mm. But also, when did you realize that it was working? That, like, this was actually going to drive impact? So Mm. I always think that there's a gap between what we think the world wants and what Mm. we want to make, right? Like, we always think, oh, man, I have the best idea. Yeah. I have the rules. Like, this is my game plan. It's going to work. Then you go into the world and the world goes, hey, you Mm. actually are talking nonsense and Mm. we don't care. Mm. This clearly mattered, right? Mm. Was there a moment that you remember where you said, yes, Mm. this mission actually has a fundamental purpose and we can drive impact in this space?
1: The day of the girl child in 2019 which is in October. Um, and mind you, we only had started the workshops. I think it was April or May of that year. So that was the biggest workshop we had done, which was over 150 girls. Right. Um, and organizing that was interesting because it's like, okay, we're going to the school it has 150 girls, which means we'll probably have to print 150 certificates. We're going to need these things, these things, these things. And I just remember making that, like, announcement to say, we've got this workshop. It's got this. We we need all of this assistant. Please, if you can, donate where you can. And thinking in my head, thinking, like, no one's going to do it. No one's going to no help. And then I remember just getting a flood of messages from all different types of industries. Um... One company pledged to say, "We want to kit you guys with uniform. Tell us your sizes." Another company said, "We would like to donate uh, treats for the girls. Tell us, give us an address." Another one said, uh, "We'd like to donate for petrol vouchers so that you guys can get there. You know, send us things." Um, another printing shop actually said, "We're going to print the certificates for you." And mind you, and I was just, I was really overwhelmed by this because I was like. We haven't even been operating for maybe six months, and this is the response. So that tells me that people see the value, right? Mm. The workshop happens, and um, in one of the sessions, a young girl starts crying, like like not even tears of joy, like actual terror. And the facilitator had to pause the workshop, and she did this beautiful thing where she formed a circle and everyone was like hugging her and then she shared her story. Um, and basically the, the young girl's story was that, um, you know, her mom abuses her every time she's on her period. Um, and I think what happened in that moment for me was to actually drive further that there's still so many girls, still so many people that need this education to feel this moment of, how is it that I felt so terrified over this natural thing? Mm. And a beautiful thing happened where all those girls in that space, like hugged her, encouraged her. And then she just felt so confident afterwards. The workshop continued. We obviously as an organization felt that, you know, we need to have this conversation outside of the, with the girl to the teacher to be like, you know what? There is a conversation that needs to be had in creating a safe space for these young girls. But also ultimately realize that you can have the power in having a conversation with the parent. And for me, that also kicked in to say our workshops shouldn't only just be centered around young girls or um, just, you know, people who menstruate. We also need to include non-menstruators in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So we started opening ourselves up to having workshops for boys, workshops for corporates, workshops because we realized this is a greater thing. And yeah, yeah, that was that was a really a a company defining moment where we were able to diversify ourselves and recognize our value and impact and recognize that there are people who see the value as well. Yeah. You know,
0: you speak about just like how important that awareness piece is when you're speaking to non-menstruators. Mm. I like this term by the way. Yes <laughs> menstruate yeah yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah
1: yeah because it's so
0: visceral right mm. It's like yo, you know yeah. this is what it is yeah um, <laughs> you know you've you've made efforts to not only just like speak from a policy level mm-hmm. or speak from a workshops and creating mm-hmm. like these safe spaces, but also like pivot from a creator perspective and mm. find ways where you're raising awareness. You know, using non menstruators Yeah. Um, can you speak a bit about your your new show and like the work that you're doing there?
1: New show? Well, you know things that I don't know in my life. What new you, show?
0: The the one where you get the guys to test out.
1: Oh, the- shit <laughs> oh, sorry, guys. No, Mash knows more about my life than I do. <laughs> yes. Um. So I've got this this series. Um.
0: This is start here though. Yeah. Like, you know. Okay, maybe explain what it is and then just speak
1: Why don't you to, explain it? I feel like... You no, no, no. I think it's the conversation.
0: No, no, no. I've, no. I've, I've, I set it up and you, like, knock uh, it down. Uh, that's the that's the power of a great
1: podcast. Like, I'm, so, I'm on so a many great shows. Podcast,
0: a, a great podcast just just sets it up. I'm so many And I'm then so you drunk. knock it out. <laughs> I'm on so
1: many shows, guys. Honestly, it's so hard to keep up with my own life. So Splash. just yeah. set the
0: context. You know, what okay. is it? You know, okay. What's the experience? And then right. also... You know why you felt it was important to start driving mm-hmm. awareness and like period positivity mm-hmm. from that perspective as well.
1: I really just wanted men to suffer. That's just that's just it. End podcast, play the outro music with that not trick. This is
0: uh, <laughs> I'm ty- First episode back ends in a in a press release. Hey guys, <laughs>
1: so,
0: <laughs> <laughs> what Candace was saying was,
1: <laughs> and, and and it's going to be that press release where the, the, the paragraphs are, are not formatted, <laughs> the font is bold, the full stops are not actually. ill. Again. there's a
0: logo of a of a company that doesn't exist. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> and an address that doesn't of a lawyer's Yeah, anyway, a hey, shame, guys. If you are going to do a press release, at least do it on Canva. Anyway. Um, so the concept of cramping my style, which, which, which what is called, is it's really to drive the notion that period pain is real. So period pain is actually a medical condition called dysmenorrhea, um, and for some people who menstruate, it's it's an, it's a it's a discomfort thing. Whereas for others, which is more than 40% of the population in this world, it's very severe, very debilitating. It can even result in a, a um, condition called endometriosis. For me, what is important is that I've been in spaces where I would talk about these things and men would come back and they'd be like, well, eh, you know this thing about periods, I don't think it's real. And I would always get frustrated because it's like, don't invalidate my experience um but i was also just like but then how do we drive this education and awareness to say it actually is real so using the minister of menstruation's platform which is really just more of an awareness um thing of like be aware that this is this be aware that this is real i felt the need to then create the content for men to experience this hit men to experience period pain I am I'm very aware as a menstrual activist that there are people who are, you know, um, intersex, trans, um, don't identify as women and girls who do menstruate. But for me, what is important, it was the driver of straight men, heterosexual men, really experiencing periods, period pain. So I'm very overwhelmed by the reaction and response it got um, because people are like, bring this person guy i wanna you know and i'm like okay so there is a community uh, element to it which is great but i hope that for the men who do engage with the content and especially on the men who are on the couch that they walk away knowing that the next time they hear someone say i've got terrible period pain there's some form of positive action towards that because they'll mm. be like hey yo i remember level six
0: <laughs>
1: yeah level six was a lot
0: i've watched some of these episodes yeah, yeah. You literally do see these men suffering. Yeah, like, sweat. Yeah, tears. Yes. <laughs> They're screaming as screaming.
1: well. Screaming, you know. Like, thankfully, we haven't gotten a lawsuit yet. Um, maybe if we bring nak music, we'll see. But um, <laughs> I really like nak music. I've, I've, I've
0: watched these, and I'm like, yeah. If, if if you're looking for something that really shows you you know the mm. experience of someone else and mm. I know that it it no it in no way is uh accurate mm. experience of what Mm-mm. you know menstruators do go through yeah. I think there's so much more it's yeah, much it's, more complicated yeah and there's definitely like impact and effects or that are That go far beyond what the simulator can actually do. Mm, mm. And even just that little bit that shows it, I'm just like, wow. Yeah. You know, you want to see people experiencing this because it puts awareness in you that Mm. goes, oh, damn. Like, first of all, I don't want to experience that. Yes. But secondly, if someone around me tells me this, I want to make sure that they're okay. Yeah. Because that doesn't seem like something that anyone should be experiencing.
1: You see, the spirit of Nelson Mandela lives on, I mean, even even with period pain. I, mean, I guys, guess. give me my flowers. <laughs> give me my flowers. Name a street after me, okay? I'm I'm continuing the work of Nelson Mandela. I'm having men recognize right that this thing is real. I, I mean, there's so many other menstruators who can speak on it and say. They don't know how many times they've been told in the office that, oh, you know, she's just on a period. That's why she's moody. Oh, you know, she's just being hysterical. It's a real thing. Mm. Like hormonal fluctuations occur. And on top of the pain, right, this is something that I obviously can't simulate. But on top of the pain, you experience headaches. You experience nausea, bloatedness. Like a lot is going on. It's like the system is just overloaded, you know. And you're just trying to make sure that you're not offline. You're just trying to make sure you're trying to be functional. Mm. But then you'll be hit with those type of comments. So it's crazy.
0: Do you think there's, you know, I mean, obviously you're driving awareness in the ways that you can. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I hope that other people are educating themselves as well. Yeah. You know, in the workplace environment, do Mm. you think there's enough, like, consciousness to understand and maybe empathize with what, you know, menstruators are going through and, like, being able to build environments that
1: actually you know, enable people. To nope. <laughs> <laughs> you're continuing as a podcaster. I'm just saying, nope. I said, nope. Three times. And that just still saying, you know, to drive empathy. No, nah, nah. Because let me tell you something. Essentially you're asking, you're essentially asking, is there a need for period paid leave in the workplace? Right because so there's conversations we have being had right now because Spain um, did period paid leave in their um, country as a policy, but I also need to recognize the fact that um, they're not the first country to do it. Japan was the first country to do it in 1920. So, you know, it's just a matter of the awareness of it. But companies don't have to wait for countries to enact policies, right? So mm. if you are your own little, little shindig doing your own thing, you have majority uh, menstruators in your company, recognize the fact that they need access to a period positive environment. So that means, is there access to period products? Is there an opportunity for them to take off leave if their period pain condition is doing too much? Um, Is there access to medication? What is the education in the environment? Is Is it positive in that someone can say, yo guys, my period has just started, I can't function, and that people won't respond negatively? And that means that there needs to be workshops in, the, in those spaces, right? will um, need to be aware of the actual effect of um, what actually happens for menstruators during that time of the month. And then recognize how to respond adequately. Obviously, we can't say one size uh, approach fits all because there's some people who work in industries where they have to be on the ground. But in those moments when they're taking breaks, so maybe allow them access to a room where they can rest. Or, you know, it differs from company to company, but definitely be more period positive. Give give your menstruators who work for you the opportunity to take off leave if they can. If not, then give them the access to the med- the, the healthcare resources and products that they need. Oh, and also make sure that the, the facilities they require and the bathrooms are clean. Like, what, guys? Come on. Mm. Sheesh.
0: And what does it look like to build a more pure, positive environment in the world mm-hmm. just from non-menstruators? I think mm-hmm. that Awareness is great. Um, Changes in workplaces and like businesses themselves being very conscious about these things. Mm -hmm. But what do I do just like in general, if someone, you know, is open enough to say to me, hey, I'm going through, Mm. you know, I'm having my period right now. How do I become more period positive in my response, in my treatment of them? Right. Um, Because I do think that there is, especially in culture, Mm -hmm. I think that. You know, maybe someone else's experience is different, but I grew up my aunt's cousins just, like, hiding that from mm. me. It wasn't something I was conscious of. Mm. Um, they would hide their pads as mm. if, like, it was something that no one should ever see. Yeah. I saw a tampon when I was, like, 19. I was just like, wait, why has no one told me about this mm. or, like, what it actually was? Mm. Um, how do I build a more period-positive you know, environment for the menstruators in my own life.
1: Right. Uh, send money. Send us money. It's been proven that money makes us feel better. It, am I lying? Am I lying? <laughs> Thank you, guys. End of podcast. Play outro music. It's been a great time. <laughs> no, I actually wouldn't understand. I swear.
0: And end this podcast right there. Send money.
1: That's <laughs> yeah, it. that's how you end it. That's how you end it. But no, it's a really good question you ask. Um, I think what's important is that men need to recognize there is a social responsibility they have in ending period poverty. And it can be, you know, you could donate to period companies. You could, uh, you know, have a box in your office with period products. You could read up on it. You could engage with your male counterparts on this. But I think ultimately it's about removing the own stigma and bias you have towards it and in treating your menstruator's um, in a way that makes them feel validated in that experience. So if someone is saying, yo, oh, these camps are killing me, just be like, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Is there anything I can do to help? Right? Instead of saying, oh, you're probably being dramatic. What are you talking about? Don't invalidate. And I think that's what continues to drive the stigma, the constant invalidation, because mm-hmm. then we become silent. We don't talk about these experiences. And ultimately, that has an impact on the policies that are created because we just, they don't believe us. Right? So conversations are so key the language you use is so powerful. You know, when you think of um, the the language that exists in periods, we often say sanitary products or feminine hygiene products. Sanitary implies that something needs to be clean, that something is dirty. Remove the stigma and rather just call it period products. When we say feminine hygiene products, it implies that it's only a woman's issue. They need to be clean. Again, just rather use period products. When you say it's only women and girls menstruate. That's exclusionary. Rather just say people who menstruate or menstruators. Language is so powerful in changing the narrative and bringing about period positivity so that people feel that menstruation is everyone's conversation and not just a women and girls issue that needs to be solved. But beyond that, recognize that you as men, you are going to be future fathers, future husbands, future partners, uh, workmates. So you have a responsibility in being a menstrual ally. And genuinely though, send us money because yeah you can send me money by buying my book flow the book about menstruation that actually speaks about how men can be menstrual allies there we go
0: that was a great plug
1: right <laughs> right
0: <laughs> do you want to plug mm. your podcast as well like i do think that yeah. it also plays a role mm-hmm. in just like educating men a lot better yeah and a lot more mm-hmm. about being conscious mm. um do you want to speak about that
1: Yeah, so we got this really cool podcast, which was really created as a fun project during lockdown, because no one was doing anything during lockdown. So we created a podcast. But um, yeah, it's called What the Relationship. Um, Really, really great conversations happen at least once a week. We engage on different things. We either reflect, we heal, we laugh, we fight. And it's just, it's really, it's really impactful that we can also engage and fight and reflect with men as well on specific things. Because we recognize that with relationships, dynamics are played, like such as culture, money, politics, everything. So, yeah, people can find that on our podcast platform where you listen to podcasts, you know.
0: You do all these things. What do you hope your lasting impact will be?
1: Hmm. That the next time someone starts their period, it's not going to be met with fear. It's just going to meet with be met with celebration. Um, that yeah, they won't have to go through the same experience that I did, and that I actually become a real minister
0: <coughs> of menstruation, mm. women, children, and people with disabilities?
1: Probably. Oh wow. That's maybe.
0: That's a powerful. But goal a real to have.
1: minister would be great. Like. Wait, isn't that someone, a real
0: minister? That is.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean. Yeah, but I mean, do we, do we, do we see them? That's I another conversation. But I mean, I think I want to be, I want to reach a space where I can have the same power that decision makers, which is often men, have. Where I can enact policy. I can bring about real social change. Not saying that I'm not now, but it's just the scale of impact would be very different if I was, you know, an actual minister.
0: I think that there's a lot of, like, there's a generation of people that are building organizations that can drive impact outside of government. And, like, that, unfortunately, in South Africa, has become the best way to actually get anything done. Mm. Do you not see yourself, like, being able to drive change in that? Like, and what does it look like for Mm -hmm. larger organizations to support that drive as well?
1: I think cross-collaboration is so key because... We are driving the the impact, right? But I'm just saying there's a lot that resources, access to resources can do in Mm -hmm. bringing more and increasing that scale of impact. So we recognize that what we're doing is enough, but we still get those invitations to say, oh, please, can you come to Western Cape? How? We're a nonprofit. We don't have funding. Mm -hmm. And so if we cross-collaborate with organizations that do have the funding to fly us down, that do have the funding to take us to anywhere we need to be, we would love that. We would appreciate that. But I'm just saying... My ultimate goal is to ensure that I have those means mm. to ensure that the scale of impact is still consistent. Mm. That's, that's all.
0: What do you think uh, the next five years looks like? For me? For everything that you're doing.
1: You, you know, when 21-year-old Candice was thinking about a five-year plan, she was like, I'm going to be working for the UN. 26-year-old Candice is now a minister of menstruation. I don't know what I'm going to be in the next... When I'm 31? Oh, ch- oh, God. Oh, MASH, you're stressing me. MASH, play the outro music in podcasts. <laughs> uh, you're stressing me. <laughs> you're stressing me. I, you,
0: G- you've ended this podcast. I've ended so like four times. I don't
1: know.
0: I think this is a sign. This is yeah, enough now.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> got, I don't know. But you know what? I'm, I'm glad to know not, not to know. I'm, 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 all I know is that I'm doing what I love. And I love what I do. And I'm going to continue to do that. And we'll see where it takes me.
0: That's powerful.
1: Thank you. There we go. End
0: podcast. Outro music is play.
1: <laughs> To
0: access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.